Welcome to episode seven of Speaking Up. This is a podcast about people standing up for the truth, stepping up on the issues of the day, and speaking up when it matters most. I'm your host, Miles Taylor. I'm very excited to be hosting this on Call In, a social podcasting app that allows us to take questions from listeners. And I want to dive right into it today. We have a guest whose last name is Freedom, whose mission is Freedom, and who has carved a name for himself by standing up and speaking up for freedom. This is Inez Cantor Freedom, who uh, you will know as an NBA player, but also as a human rights champion. Good sir, we are excited to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really curious to ask you at the outset something that is really top of mind for a lot of our listeners. In fact, almost every episode, it's difficult to start off and not talk about what we are seeing in Ukraine. As someone who's not only a major league uh, you know, athlete, but also a major human rights supporter, what's your take on the current situation and, and how have you been involved uh, in, in raising awareness about what we're seeing uh, with the Russian invasion? You know, I think when, if you call yourself a human rights activist, you cannot just be only focusing on only one thing. You know, obviously my um, activism started with Turkey because that's my home country. That's my home country. But I think, you know, uh, and then after that, I started to study about what's going on, you know, around the world. And obviously right now, if you uh, look at what's happening around the world and, you know, what, you know, Ukraine is going through, it's, you know, uh, heartbreaking. And, um, I think, you know, I remember just, you know, I sit down and started to, you know, watch what's going on over there. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is like the world must act immediately. I believe that, you know, the future of Europe and the world is being decided. And I think, you know, you know, I will say evil leaders like Putin and Xi Jinping and and many other dictators around the world are a threat to global security and free world, you know, and. Because I believe Russia and like China, uh, some of the other countries out there wants to destroy uh, democracy, and to me it is therefore important that the Ukraine is uh, supported. You know, and you know I believe that uh, Vladimir Putin is not just threatening an individual country or the millions of men, women, children who will suffer from his war, and I think you know he's threatening the very concept of freedom. You know, if he succeeds in Ukraine. He will empower countless dictators and authoritarian uh, wannabes to uh, copy. So that's why I think, you know, just uh, support of Ukraine is uh, so important. You know, so Inez, you, you, just to give our listeners some background, you you were born in Switzerland. You, you grew up in Turkey, moved to the United States, uh, you know, in your teenage years and frankly became a phenomenal basketball player. At what point in your journey and evolution did, did you really sort of wake up to human rights issues? When, when did this, you know, poke its head into your life? I remember I was nine years old and something, when I was a little kid, something happened in, in school. And I remember my mom is, you know, telling me uh, that, you know, it doesn't matter what it takes and it doesn't matter what you sacrifice. You have to stand up for what's right. You know, even if it means, you know, sacrifice, sacrificing everything you have. So and then I promised my mom that day. I was like, Mom, I promise you that I will stand up for what's right from the rest of my life. 
And she said, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Right. And, and then after that, you know, I got drafted in NBA and my third year in the league, there is, there was a big corruption happened in the Turkey a corruption scandal. And it was president Erdogan and his family was involved in it. And after that, I, was following the news, I was seeing his actions towards his people. You know, he started to put, you know, prosecutors, police, and, um, you know, judges in jail just because of the economy. Or if you're a media out there talking about the scandal, he was coming down, coming down, shutting down everything. So I, I was like, I don't care who you are. If you're fighting against a free media, I'm going to say something. So I took And just because of the platform, I have, it became a conversation. Hmm. Even one little tweet can affect so much, you know, uh, pay attention about country more and more. And I started to study about, you know, foreign relations the, between America and Turkey and the Middle East. And obviously after that, I started to talk about it. And a lot of the, you know, big news out there started to give me a platform. And obviously every time I say something, it was going everywhere in the world because of the NBA platform, they, the Turkish government hated that. You know, they put, um, I remember, you know, my dad was a, a genetic professor, scientist. He got fired from his job. My sister went to medical school for six years. She still cannot find a job. I think the saddest one was my little brother. You know, he was going, he was, he wanted to be an NBA player, but he was getting, he was the last name. So they were getting affected so much, they had to put a statement out there and saying we are disowning us. I remember going to a practice that day was like one of the hardest days in my life. Obviously, Turkish government didn't believe that statement and they came to my house with the police and they raided my whole house and they took every electronics away. Phones, computers, laptops, iPads, because they wanted to see if I am still in contact my family or not they couldn't find no evidence but they still put my dad in jail for a while but we put so much pressure from here to turkey with media with politicians they, they let him go i mean right now my name's on into poll list and um you know my passport has been revoked they try to kidnap me actually in indonesia uh, and stuff but i think that's how my activism started I, I can't imagine, frankly, a more harrowing experience for how to start your activism. And what's what's mind boggling to me about you and as is mm-hmm. even after all of that, you you not only, uh, you know, you didn't go quiet after that. You actually became even more vocal about these issues, despite the risks to you uh, and and to your family. What, what did your friends tell you after that episode? And, and were there people saying hey, man, you need to lay low and just focus on your basketball career and, and stop talking about these things. And I think that's the, the, the most, the, the, that's like the first question I get. Are you crazy? I hear this from so many people, you know, my teammates and some other people <clears throat> around me because they're like, listen, man, you're an NBA player. Just keep your mouth shut, make your millions, live a happy life, and your family's still back in Turkey. They're being affected. But, I think people need to understand my family is only one. I mean, I understand at the end it's my family, but it's only one. There are so many, you know, people and politicians and journalists and, you know, innocent people and innocent women who has nothing to do with politics in Turkey are in the jail right now getting, you know, torture and rape. 
And when I say torture and rape, I'm not just saying that. There are so many reports out there, like Human Rights Watch, Human Rights Foundation, Amnesty International. These reports are saying that there are people in jail getting tortured. And Turkey is the number one country in the world that, in the world that put almost journalists in the jail. So I was like, I feel like I, this platform is given me by God and I need to use it for good, you know? So when I sit down and have a conversation with my teammates like that one-on-one, they understand. Because in the beginning, they always scared to ask me questions because my name is on Interpol list. I got 10 arrest warnings for me less than 40 years. My passport has been revoked. But I think when I sit down and have a conversation with them one-on-one, the next question I get, how can we help? So... Well, and, 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 you know, after you first started criticizing the Turkish president, Erdogan, of course, there was, uh, you know, an, an alleged, you know, a failed coup attempt in, in Turkey uh, and Erdogan cracked down extremely yep. hard on dissent in, in the country. At one point, you called him uh, the Hitler of, of our century and, and you were unafraid to do that. And of course, as you know, uh, you know, they they. Uh, said that they would try you in absentia and, and, and you know, put you on the Interpol list and, and your father and family suffered from this. Uh, after the Turkey episode, um, y- you know, you very soon after started speaking about another human rights dilemma after becoming essentially a man without a country for standing mm-hmm. up on Turkey. Uh, you then became very vocal on issues related to China. Tell, tell me about that evolution and, and what drew you to those uh, issues. So um, I think I remember it was past the summer, right? So every summer I do a lot of basketball camps. And free basketball camp for kids because, I mean, a lot of the players are you know charging kids hundreds of dollars but i'm like you know what i'm just gonna do it for free you know so because there are kids that can, uh, can't afford it but there are some kids cannot afford it anyway so i was like doing basketball camps and i remember doing this one basketball camp with a uh, one of the congressmen in new york and it was in his uh, district and i remember you know i did the basketball camp it was one of the best it was amazing and then obviously after the camp a lot of kids a lot of a lot of the kids wants to take a picture so anyway, we're just taking pictures with the kids one by one. And, you know, obviously just because of Muslim, Muslim, a lot of the, you know, Muslim families come to basketball camps. Uh, because we do a Q&A and they ask me a lot of questions about, you know, being a Muslim in the NBA and a lot of questions about my uh, religion. So anyway, I was taking pictures one by one. So I took a picture with this cute little girl, right? While I was taking a picture, her parents called me out. And said, how can you call yourself a human rights activist when your Muslim brothers and sisters are getting tortured and raped and killed in concentration camps every day in China? I was shocked. I turned around. I took a picture with the kid. And I turned around. And because she called me up, he called me up in front of everybody. So everybody was looking at me to see my reaction. And I just said, I promise you, I'm going to get back to you. I took the picture. But in my head, I was just like, he's right. You know? And that day, I canceled everything. rest of my schedule. I went back to my hotel. And I started to study. I was always hearing about what was going on over there. 
you know, but I never like really studied because my plate was always full because of Turkey, because that was my home country. Anyway, I started to study a little bit. And the more I studied, I was like, I cannot believe, I was very ashamed of myself. I was like, I cannot believe the last 10 years of my career. I only, I only stand up and only talk about only one dictatorship. So I promised myself from now on, whatever it takes, I'm going to talk about it. So the more I obviously researched and, and read, my heart was shattered. You know, and then after that, obviously, you know, two years ago when uh, the Houston Rockets GM tweeted about it, Hong Kong, everybody was going crazy. So I already knew what, what was happening in New York. Uh, sorry, what was happening in uh, Hong Kong. And then I started to study about, you know, Tibet. And then I was watching the news and then it, there's a new, new the news came out about Taiwan and China. So I started to study about all these problems that are happening in, in China. And I was like, I want to talk about this, you know? And I was like, whatever it takes, I'm just going to go out there because obviously I have freedom of speech here. I'm just going to say it like it is. And um, that's how I decided that I'm going to talk about the problems that happened. And then the next two months, you know, I cancel everything and I just sit down in my hotel and study. But obviously, on the internet, there is all kind of news. You know, I wanted to talk about, actually, I wanted to hear from the first hand. So I called my manager, and I told him, I, I need you to find me a person who has been in a concentration camp before in China. And he was very shocked. So he was like, what are you talking about? Just, I, 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 I want to speak to one. So I, and we, we found one, and the, the stories we heard from her was like, I have never heard any, anything like that before. You know, and then I promised her I will talk about it. And I asked her at the end of the end of our conversation, "How can I help you?" She said, "Forget about me. I'm in America. I'm safe. But there are millions of people over there right now are getting killed. Help those people." So then, that's how I started. And in the meantime, and as you're you're playing in Major League Basketball games, you know you're dealing with sponsorships and fans and and the celebrity of all of that. When did uh, when did this start to have an impact on your basketball career? Um, so I wanted to do it in a very special way. I remember when I was a kid, when I were I watched an NBA game, the first game, first thing I looked was what kind of shoes they're wearing. You know, if they're what color it is, if they're comfortable. If they are, you know, what brand it is. Uh, so I was like, obviously, every kid is pretty much obsessed with shoes. So I wanted to do it in a way where I, where am I going to inspire millions of people around the world? So that's why I came up with this idea. I was like, whatever topic we're going to talk about, I'm going to create a shoes for that topic. And I'm going to go out there, play in front of 20,000 fans uh, in arena and millions of people around the world. You know, and that's how I, how I wanted to do it. And the first game was in Madison Square Garden in New York, probably the most famous arena, arena in the world. And then I was like, I want to talk about Tibet because I wanted people to um, say he's doing this not for because of his religion, because of he cares about all humanity. You know, that's why I didn't start with Uyghurs. I started with started with Tibet, and. Uh, 
the, I want to tell you the story because, so I put a video out there about Tibet. I say how Tibet should be free. And I, obviously already was getting a lot of attention. And then I put the shoes 20 minutes before the game. I went out there and I started to warm up. And first, my teammates obviously didn't know the flag. And everybody was saying how beautiful my shoes are. It's a very different, unique design. And right before the game, right, there was two gentlemen. We are in the huddle. So they take me out of the huddle. They said, listen, we are pleased. We are begging you. You have to take your shoes off. I'm like, excuse me, what are you talking about? He said, your shoes are getting so much attention. We are being getting called from all over the world. You have to take your shoes off. And it was a perfect moment because, like, just before that, I was getting ready for my citizenship test, right? So in my head, I'm thinking, like, okay, there are 27 amendments, my first amendment, freedom of speech. So that's all going through my mind. I'm like, no, this is my freedom of speech, and you cannot take that away from me. And they actually told me that, listen, I, I told them, I don't care even if I get fined. Go ahead, tell your boss I'm not taking my sh- uh, shoes off. They said, we are not talking about a fine. We're talking about getting back. I was like, go ahead. I don't care. So that game, I played absolutely zero minutes, right? Zero minutes. And then obviously, in a halftime, so the one quarter is 12 minutes. 12, 12, 24 minutes. I went, I went back to my locker room in a halftime. I looked at my phone. There were... There was like millions of notifications, but my manager messaged me and said, all Celtics games are banned in China. So it literally took them 24 minutes to ban all of our games in China. And I was shocked. Wow. Right right away, the consequences were evident. I I, want to take a question, Inez, from from Zach, uh, who's listening in. Uh, Zach, you are uh, you're live with uh, Inez Freedom. If you want to unmute in the lower right hand of the app, what's your question, caller? Hey, hey Inez, uh, big fan. Been following you since you know you were drafted in Utah. Uh, just a, a fan. Have have always followed you. Bummed you're not in the league right now. Uh, I just uh, I, I'm a little curious about. Uh, I, I tuned in in you know, the middle of the episode. I don't know if you've talked about the NBA bubble at all, but obviously like social justice and all of that you know, messaging, mm-hmm. what was a big point of topic uh, in the bubble. And I was just wondering, like, it sounds like what you're saying you want to do during games is what other players, you know, there was like a mass movement of, you know, like when the Bucks, you know, weren't playing against the Magic, when, when there was all that stuff going on. I was just curious how different your thinking was inside the bubble from everybody else's or if there were any similarities there. If you just talk about it a little in general, I'd, I'd love to, you know, have an inside mm-hmm perspective of what that was all like mm-hmm. of course you know i think about the bubble obviously uh you know the, the one of the biggest reason i obviously we wanted to go to the bubble was because not just play basketball but you know amplify some of the things that are happening in our country and around around the world you know and i think it was amazing to just you know hang out with our with your teammates, you know, like over 80 days in a small bubble because, I mean, obviously they're like my family now. They're like my brothers now. I think a lot of people use the 
obviously just educate uh, themselves, you know, uh, about some of the problems that are happening in our world. And I think NBA did a good job about, you know, what was happening. So, you know, I think, you know, I remember sitting down with my teammates and just almost every day talking about how can we use our platform to bring awareness about what's going on and same time educate our young generation. Because, I mean, if you're an an athlete, there's millions of, you know, kids out there are following your footsteps and just want to become like you and idolize you. So the question we wanted to ask ourselves, what can we do? How can we help them? You know, so we won't have the same same problems we are facing uh, right now. Um, and I think we did we did do a really good job about what's going on. Uh, there were so many, you know, uh, you know, people, so many players who was talking about all the social uh, justice issues. And I was like, finally, NBA is standing up for something bigger than basketball. You know, that made me actually super happy. But and he put, you know, NBA put our some of the phrases behind our jersey. Uh, NBA put some of the logos on the court. And actually, before the game and after the game, we were just talking about the problems that are happening in our country. And I was like, fine, right? That's beautiful. But then two years later, my thing happened, right? And I was like, this is unbelievable because NBA will only stand up for the things that won't affect their business, won't affect the money they're making. And that was the one thing that was really frustrating me. And I was like, if you're going to stand up for something, the problems that are happening in our country, I'm all for it, right? But then, just because it's not going to affect your business, but then two years later, this stuff happening, and you don't support your play, literally. So that was the one thing was really frustrating me. And that was the one thing I was like, this is a big hypocrisy. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that, Inez, because, you know, you, you went out there against the Chinese government for its mm-hmm. genocide, its repression. And then there was a shift, a shift in the NBA's attitude in the lead up to the Chinese uh, Winter Olympic Games, which just completed, of course, the other month. And you were one of the earliest and most vocal uh, public figures, especially a a cultural icon saying that the United States should boycott those Winter Olympics. And the Chinese were infuriated and by all accounts started to lean heavily on the NBA to shut you up. How did that play out? Um, you know, a lot of people are actually, actually asking me this uh, question, you know, look, what do you think about, why do you think about that I'm not an NBA team right now? I mean, people need to understand first, it's not because of my talent to play at the highest level. I think, you know, the most rational people know the answer to that question. And I have been very, like you said, I have been very outspoken against, you know, authoritarian regimes around the world, you know, including Turkey, Russia, China, Venezuela, or Myanmar, or, you know, Nicaragua, many other ones. You know, I didn't I didn't just pick China just because it's China. I've, I've talked about... See, that is not viewed as controversial when it 
when it could have economic consequences. And that is unfortunate that, you know, you know, fighting for human rights will be viewed that way. And I'm, if you know basketball, if people know basketball, I averaged double-double last year, 11 and 11. I did not miss a single game. There was, I believe, eight players in a whole league that did not miss a game, and I was one of them. I started over half of the games, and we made the playoffs. And all of a sudden, this year, I forgot how to play basketball. That just does not make sense to people. But it just, the what really, for other things, you know, what frustrates me is many of the sports journalists and sports uh, authors is controlled by the NBA. And, but unfortunately, they're not going to be able to say what I'm going through. That's why I'm so thankful for, you know, my friends in the Hill, like some of the congressmen and senators and some of the media outlets are amplifying these problems. But unfortunately, it, I just wish, I only thing that I was wishing was like, please, God, just one more player just join. And I actually sit down with many of my teammates, many of my colleagues around the league or many of the athletes. And I told them about these problems, right? I was like, please join. And unfortunately, there was not one single player wanted to join because they said, we love you, we support you, we just cannot do it out loud because we have shoot deals, Nike deals, we want to get another contract in the NBA, you know, we want to make more money. And I asked them one simple question. If your mother, if your daughter, if your you know, if your wife was on those concentration camps and getting tortured and raped every day, would you still pick money over morals and principles and values? Not an answer. I've got to tell you, you know, it's very different. But and as you know, I ex- experienced something similar when I resigned in protest from the Trump administration. Had a lot of concerns about the way that Donald Trump was governing. I feared what a second term would look like. But what you just described is often the response that I got from cabinet secretaries, senior officials who felt the same way behind the scenes, who said that they agreed wholeheartedly. But then when it came time to go public, uh, they were intimidated. And frankly, fear worked. Do you have a sense that what you've done could still have a domino effect. Are there players out there you think are on the fence and and close to doing what you did? And if not, how do you catalyze that? How do you get more folks to speak up in the league? I think, you know, I had to open the door. Someone had to do it. You know, you, there was, you see there was so many athletes, not just athletes, but like, you know, actors, rappers, singers, or celebrities, people who have platform, they were talking about everything in the world, right? But when it comes to China, they were remaining silent because there was so much money and business involved. So, I mean, I had to open the door, and I believe this is going to give a lot of people a lot of courage to just stand up for what's right. And, you know, people need to understand this is not about just NBA. What China is doing to to us is it's horrible. You know, you see many of the things are 
pretty much controlled by by uh, China. You see, you know, Wall Street, academia, you know, big tags, or some of the people in Congress, the local Congress or Hollywood, is you know controlled by China as sports sports world. So I think I feel like you know people need to stand up uh, for what's right, and not just the, the problems that are happening in America, but all over the world, especially China, because people over there are going through uh, some very, very tough times. But I believe that more folks will will talk about it in the future, but we just have to be patient and keep educating them. Your case is a great example of how courage can be contagious, because if not in the NBA, you did inspire a lot of people to start talking about these issues, tweeting about these issues, speaking to their friends, going to the media, a lot of members of Congress woke up to the topic because you've been so active in raising awareness. Um, I do want to ask about sort of additional consequences from speaking up, though, Um, you know, aside from the fact that in some ways it's put your basketball career on hold. uh, You also have to take a lot of security precautions because the Chinese government is very worried when public figures like you go out there. Um, without revealing anything, I know you have to take a lot of steps uh, to ensure your security, your physical security and your cyber security for doing this. And in fact, today we're having this conversation, uh, you know, over, uh, you know, a connection so that this can be a little bit more of a, a secure way to do the discussion. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe what that says uh, about some of the authoritarian regimes that you've stood up against? It sort of proves your point almost. Right. No, it, the security concerns was one of our, you know, biggest concerns because we were getting a lot of uh, death threats, not just the, you know, people uh, from Turkey, but a lot of people from China and many other uh, countries. And I, you know, I remember uh, it was um, around one and a half year, over two, little over two years ago, I was playing for Portland Trail Blazers, and there was so much, you know, threats towards towards me and I sit down with FBI and had a conversation and they told me to take a screenshot of all the death threats and send it to them but it came to a point there was so many of them I mean I, I had to stop and they were really concerned so I was staying in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a house and they just didn't feel comfortable so I had to move to a hotel because it is more secure and I remember um, when I was um, in a road uh, road trip, uh, the FBI came to my hotel room, and they set up this thing called panic uh, button. They said, "Whenever you feel uncomfortable, push that button. We'll be there in two three minutes." And I never tried it. I always wanted to uh, push it, but <laughs> I'm gonna see if they're really going to show up in two three minutes. But I'm glad that I never had to uh, use it. But the security concern, obviously, one of our biggest because I mean, I my name is on Interpol list. And so I, people, some of the countries can see uh, me as international uh, criminal. And that is the reason, actually, which I haven't traveled outside of uh, America since 2017, besides uh, Canada, you know. So I think it is important. But at the end, you know, I understand I am taking a lot of risks. But, you know, on the, uh, on the other side, there are so many people who are, you know, suffering. So someone had to stand up for those uh, people. Well, I know, Inez, we've got to let you uh, get to the airport soon. And uh, right. but before we do, uh, I want to note that 
yesterday you tweeted something out. You said that being outspoken against dictators and genocide should not be controversial or make you unemployable in this country. I'm ready to play and win in the NBA, and I'll continue to fight for democracy. If these are mutually exclusive concepts, are we truly free? I suppose my parting question for you is this, given everything that's happened and everything you've sacrificed to stand up for what you believe in, would you do it all again? I have no regrets. I will do it all over again because I know that this is bigger than basketball. This is bigger than NBA. This is bigger than myself. I mean, I am 29 and they're pushing me to retire at the age of 29. And I do not want to retire because I could play another five, six, maybe seven years in this league, you know. And, but obviously, when you talk about some of the problems that are happening in, around the world, especially if those problems are affecting their business and their money they're gonna try to uh, sh- sh- shut you down but i mean first of all i don't i don't want to retire because i have not won a championship yet so that is one of my goals but um like i said again this is bigger than basketball you know there are so many people out there are uh, suffering and waiting for help so i hope that people will pick <clears throat> more like things like morals and principles and values over uh, money and uh, business so i have no regrets and i will do it all over again well, as I, as I hinted at the top end of the conversation, in November of last year, you indeed changed your last name to Freedom. Mm-hmm. And so we can now call you Mr. Freedom, which I think is a name that you have earned and deserve, good sir. So we will be cheering you on in any capacity, especially in the court of public opinion. So uh, Inez Cantor Freedom, thank you for joining us. Any parting words? Uh, the last thing I will say, and I, I just hope, you know, that, you know, people will stand up for what's right, even if it means sacrificing everything, you know. Um, and I think, you know, people are getting there. And I, did, I do see the spark, but I just hope that they won't be scared. Uh, they won't be, you know, fear about this authoritarian regimes because um, we are way stronger than them. So. Well, great. Uh, uh, Mr. Freedom, it's been wonderful to have you today. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. Uh, You can hear the replay of this podcast very soon. Next week, join us for a conversation on Monday with Congressman Eric Swalwell, who's also been very vocal on issues of national and international importance. Inez, thank you. And listeners, thank you for joining. Thank you. I appreciate that.